Sports Talk Radio for the Brainerd Lakes. 1380 KLIZ AM. Brainerd Baxter, the fan. It's time for Lakes, Woods, and Irons at 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Featuring Colin McDonald and Chris Foley. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Craigan's Legacy Courses, Tito's Handmade Vodka, Rutgers Bay Lake Lodge, The Tea Hive, The Holiday Station on Mill Avenue, and Maury's Market. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com, sponsored by Mills GM. And now, here's Chris Foley and Colin McDonald for Lakeswoods and Irons at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ and streaming at KLIZ.com. Thanks to our sponsors, Mills Ford and Mills GM. Also now available at uh, Podcast One and wherever podcasts are sold. Actually, they're free usually. <laughs> <laughs> Just look for Lakes, Woods, and Irons and you can find us. Uh, Chris, uh, the Open Championship in uh, Ireland and uh, quite a great success, I would say, by uh, TV standards and uh, the way um, the community received the players and uh, uh, that we just saw the the love of golf in uh, Great Britain again and uh, really the whole country kind of uh, unites, which is nice uh, for the country of Ireland, really. Hasn't been the case all the time in the last many years, so that was fun. And then, uh, of course, to get a hometown boy up on the leaderboard the last couple days and uh, really... Really a fun tournament. No, oh, it was fantastic. And, you know, go- golf is so m- romantic anyway, but, uh, you know, just with uh, Shane Lowry being from Ireland and, um, you know, j- played just tremendous. And, and it, it was really, I mean, he, you know, he, he ends up winning by six shots. It seemed like it was a little closer than that, but he really kind of ran ran away with it uh, the final round and nobody could make a move on him. But uh, it, it was a fantastic championship. And, uh, so many good things. I, I love the way Lowry is so transparent, and yeah. uh, you know he was so open with uh, just his experience on Sunday and the doubt that he had going into Sunday and playing well, and just how a year ago he was ready to quit, leaving the, the parking lot at Carnoustie and uh, crying in the car because he played so poorly. So yeah, yeah, just uh, great stuff. Had the pep talk. He's been playing fairly well this year. Yes, and then he gets the. Uh, Pep talk from his uh, his uh, coach. They didn't really work on anything, and I thought that was interesting. They mentioned a couple times that you know the game is all there for these guys who have been right up at the top in the last couple of years. So really, the words of advice are almost more important to the guy because the game is there at some level. They don't get to that level without you know having all kinds of game. Obviously, no. I mean, if you, if you're at that level, you're one of the top. 100 players in the entire world right you know a lot of people play golf that yeah (laughs) and um you know so so many the confidence is so fleeting and it it can it it can go as quickly as it comes and sometimes it's all all it is is a little nugget of information or hitting one good shot and it, it totally turns your whole disposition and and level of confidence around so um, you know, he had a little pep talk with his coach last week and, <laughs> and uh, you know, did the trick. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. And uh, he was in Irish tradition, uh, wasn't afraid to go uh, right away to the pubs and uh, <laughs> take the claret jug with him and have a good time. And I see just yesterday, I believe I saw that he just pulled out of this week's WGC event 
uh, so he can probably stay home in Dublin and uh, celebrate for another That's few days. Right. You know, winning it, it one of the four four biggest golf tournaments of you know in, on the tour, and then uh, <laughs> uh, being from Ireland and uh, pretty tough to follow a week uh, week like that and go play again. So. Sure, yeah, he, well, <laughs> he never has to. Uh, uh, pay for a meal the rest of his life if he stays at home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we got a couple of good guests this week. Our old pal Mark Johnson, director of golf at Breezy Points, going to join us. And uh, a friend of yours who has some experience so recently in the Open Championship, Chris. Yeah, fresh back from the from the Open Championship. We've got Mike Christensen, who uh, is Kevin Streelman's, was Kevin Streelman's caddy this week. Mike is from Grand Rapids originally and uh great great player has a great history of golf in minnesota and, and so look forward to talking to him yeah that'll be fun we'll be back with uh, that and more you're listening to lakes woods and irons on the fan you're listening to lakes woods and irons with chris foley and colin mcdonald at 1380 kliz the fan welcome back to lakes woods and irons with chris foley colin mcdonald with you 1380 kliz the fan Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com. Thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM and Mills Ford, and also uh, now available at Podcast One. Chris, special guest, I'll let you handle the introductions. We're fresh off the British Open, so this is kind of fun. Yeah, fresh off the Open Championship. We've got a great guest. I uh, want to welcome Mike Christensen. Mike is uh, grew up in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, was a two-time uh, Minnesota high school uh, champion, played at Duke University, and uh, has been a caddy on and off on the PJ Tour for, for Kevin Streelman and just caddied for Kevin in uh, this week's Open Championship. Welcome to the show, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mike, remind me. So you're you're living in Minneapolis now, still playing some amateur golf, and got your amateur status back, and working at a financial service company in Minneapolis. So what, give me the name of that again. Yeah, the Twin City Group. It's called. Awesome. And uh, so you were at the uh, Open Championship this week, caddying for Kevin Streelman, who had a, a nice week this week. He got. Uh, I always get up early and watch the Open Championship, and Kevin got. A, you guys got a lot of TV time on Friday. He had a great round of sixty-five. Yeah, it was. It was really special. You know, it's um, just give a little bit of backstory. You know, I, the last time I caddied for Kevin was seven years ago, actually on tour. And has it been that long? Town for the three in here a few weeks ago, and so I was able to spend a lot of time with him and his family. You know, Kevin's still one of my best friends, and um, on the weekend, on Saturday night, we went to dinner, and he said, hey, I think I might be uh, getting into the Open Championship. I'll find out on Monday. Um, and my caddy, his normal caddy, Frank Williams, I uh, can't make it over. He says, are you interested? <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, well, if those two things happen, why don't you give me a call? We'll see if we can make it happen. And, uh, and of course, those things, two things did happen, and he gave me a buzz on, on Monday, and I was able to pull it off. So, um, you know, went over there. I got there on the Saturday before the event, and Kevin got there on the Friday, and so it was just kind of was able to take in the entire event from a different perspective than I had when I was working full time as a caddy. You know, I was more, I guess I would say, I was more uh, more observant and kind of really kind of cherishing some of the moments I was there, um, being there as you know as a as a best friend versus being there you know as a full time caddy. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I, I always think, you know, as somebody who played at such a high level like you, it, it's got the next best thing to be actually playing the PGA Tour is being in the inside the ropes caddy, and I would think. You know, there's there's no doubt. You know, it's um, it does. It's it, it's hard to explain, but it does. You know, those moments when I caddy for Kevin, or even out there this past week when, you know, when the press is on or when he's 
playing well. Like, there's a competitive edge as a caddy that you try to kind of funnel through as well. I mean, it's it kind of gives you a different angle on it. But at the same time, like, there's times where you're under pressure and there's other times where you have to play sports psychologist. But, uh, but no, it's definitely, um, especially when you're caddying for someone that, 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 that talented and can execute shots the way you can, um, it's really fun to, to be able to be in the box and kind of go through their thinking and, and be a part of uh, uh, something like that. Because, you know, the, the, most of the players do really consider their caddy a, a major part of their team. And so when that takes place, you really, you know, you, you want to make sure you're as prepared as possible. And, and, um, and you know, you get a little bit nervous before the round. And you, it's just all the same emotions sometimes you get as a golfer. And, um, and sometimes it's, uh, people say it's easier, but sometimes it's harder because you're not hitting the shots, right? Right. But, uh but it different, definitely is a different angle on it, and I do the fact that I had caddy for Kevin. You know, um, I think that's why he asked me because there's obviously like a routine aspect of of the whole uh, caddy part of it that you, you want to know, um, you know, how we get along with each other and how you like to approach, uh, you know, being the game. So. Um, but it was fun to be back on the ropes, no doubt. Yeah, to me, you know, I think that chemistry is so important. Uh, yeah. you know, that friendship. And t- tell us about your role as a caddy. What, what are, you know, what are the things that you, that Kevin relies on you on, for you on and, um, you know, kind of how that goes? Yeah, yeah. So I would say, uh, you have, like, you know, basic things that are kind of, um, taken for granted, like, from a caddy standpoint. And that's, like, being ultra prepared with course preparation. You know, we'll go out there and walk the course, you know, separately without the player and just make sure all the numbers are right and kind of get a better feel for, uh, where the miss is to certain whole locations and, um, you know, that's, that's kind of all on its own. And then, you know, once the tournament comes, uh, you know, you want to make sure that any question that's asked of you, you have the answer, um, you know, as far as how far is to this bunker or what's over this green. Um, and then, you know, when you're out there, it's, it's a lot of it to feel as far as trying to get a sense of the wind and trying to get a sense of where to land the ball on the green based on how firm it is. And, um, and then not only have that information, but also delivering it in a way that's, uh, that the player can receive it. You know, you want to you know, remain positive with, uh, you don't want to be like, hey, you can't miss a left here, <laughs> but phrase it in a way that, you know, the play is just right because of this. And um, so there's definitely uh, some cadence to that whole routine. And, um, you know, like you said, there's chemistry that's involved that, you know, the best caddy in the world doesn't mean that it should be a few of the best player in the world. There has to be a, an element of um, comfortableness when, you know, when the, when the pressure's on and, and decision-making. You have to be someone that can really make sure that whatever decision's made, your player's confident with it. And that's your ultimate goal is just to make sure that whatever they do, that there's conviction in that. Because if, if there's any uncertainty, as we all know as golfers, um, you don't have much chance. <laughs> right. Yeah, you never want to uh, put doubt in your player's mind, I don't think, over the shot or cause more anxiety. Yeah, yeah, and, um, you know, as far as, like, playing, like, Kevin is, you know, he is uh, someone that relies on, I think, his caddies a little bit, I mean, more than others in regards to he always wants your opinion, um, which is good and bad, you know, like, I've always, especially this week, I'm, you know, I'm trying to reassure, hey, I haven't seen you play as much, I want you to be a decision maker, but, you know, as a, as a player, sometimes you want to make sure that you're thinking the right way about things, and so, um so that's uh, that's something I'd be careful with too. Like you, are, if you're going if you're going to oppose what he's thinking, you better be pretty convicted with the right decision. Mike, do, does Kevin re- use the green reading books? Yeah, he does. And um, the ones they used this week were actually ones that, or last week, were ones that I hadn't seen much before. And I got to the point where we had both had them, and the routine became pretty much after the first nine holes. The routine was he can look at he, he was going to look at, and I was just going to use my eyes. You know, I think that. Um, 
I have pretty, pretty sense for the Greens that week, and and but him for him, like just to, to have that conviction and where he's going to put. He checks the cheat, he check out the book quite frequently, um, and I would just kind of occasionally ask him what the book said, but for the most part, kind of just try to be the person that's going by feel and uh, let him kind of make a decision in the end. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't have a lot of experience with the books, but whenever I've looked at them and read them, it almost creates more conflict for me than it helps. And, um, you know, I've always considered myself a very good green reader. And it's, it's, I, for me, it's almost too much information, I think. You know, I agree. And there's a couple elements there that, you know, if the, the, where you, where the whole location exactly is, is so important in these greens books. Because you're off by a little bit, it's, it's in the wrong spot. The, the greens book's not accurate. And, um, I think that a lot of players have overused them, but, uh, it becomes part of the routine. And, um, and like, like I, Kevin and I talked about it, and you know, and he said, and this is what I would kind of see, is like, you know, when you have a feel for the greens, I never want to see that thing. But the days maybe that you don't feel great about reading the green books or you don't feel great about your stroke, sometimes that can help you. But um, it'll be interesting to see longer term if, if there's anything more done in regards to the legality of them all, because I do think there's a trend out there, like, of guys that are, like, you know, don't want them out there, but if they're there, they're going to use them, right? If there's any advantage, they can, if they can see one stroke over the course of the weekend, they're going to use them. Absolutely. Sure, you bet. Mm-hmm. Well, t- tell us about some of your experiences this week. What, what were some of the highlights? Yeah, you know, um, we uh, the practice rounds are always fun because you get to see the players prepare and you know, how they go about it. Each player does it differently, but also you get to see a lighter player, lighter side of the players. They're a lot more, they're a lot more, more open during the practice rounds. Um, you know, talking about just you know, especially with the players. And I, I know some of the guys like Matt Kuchar is a guy that I play with in college. Um, we were the same year when I was at Duke. He was at Georgia Tech, and so it's good to catch up with him. But to watch a guy like that who's played tour that long, who doesn't hit the ball very far, and you know, talk with him through how he's seen each hole, um, it really is fascinating. You know, the way he looks at a golf course versus uh, someone like Bubba Watson, who haven't played with on Sunday. It's just, I mean, two different complete golf courses, but they both have success in their own way. Um, so you know, like. You know, playing with Bubba on Sunday was, was was amazing because here's a guy that's you know he has like a three iron and then the next club in the bag is a driver. So <laughs> you know he's hitting these fifty yard slices that go two fifty, and he's hitting these you know three hundred twenty yard straight balls. And to watch the creativity of a guy like that, um, it just is a it's, he's quite the artist out there. Um, but you know, for me, you know, like I said before, like, you know, sitting around on the range, you know, watching some guys hit balls that you haven't seen play before or haven't seen in a long time. Um, their focus during the practice sessions, how they go about it. Uh, you know, all those things are, you know, are really kind of, as a golf nut, I think that we all are. It's just, it's just tough to get uh, enough of that. Um, but the fans over there for this event, you know, one of the reasons it was an easy decision for me to go over there was just because the open fans are just, they're incredible. It's a full house. They're very knowledgeable, yeah. very welcoming. Um, and with Lowry winning, I mean, geez, it was just, it was really, there was so much energy around that place from Saturday, Saturday afternoon through Sunday. It had to be incredible. How, yeah. you know, uh, how about, how bad was the weather on Sunday? It, on TV, it didn't look too bad, but then I saw a couple of, uh, uh, Justin Thomas tweeted a video of, uh, midway through his round where it was, it just, it almost looked like it was hailing. It was coming down so hard. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, you know, they moved the tee times up on Sunday. Uh, unfortunately, Kevin only probably had two or three holes where there was, where there was rain. It wouldn't be a fair amount. But um, just generally over the course of the week, you know, someone asked me about the golf course, and 
um, you know, the, the, the times when the scores were low or when there was no win. There were stretches out there where there wasn't any win, and the players were really able to shoot nice numbers. But uh, but the moment there was more than, you know, five, ten mile an hour wins, that's when it was really tough to score because of just the precision that's needed on a course like that, right? Um, but yeah, I guess on Sunday, as you could see from the scores, there was only one player that, like, in the last four or five groups that was under par. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's a different ball game when you're out there and, and you're <laughs> – you're trying to control the ball and trying to be creative around the greens when the you know when when the rain's going sideways, no doubt. You know, Mike, you brought up Matt Kuchar, a player you've played a lot with, and you know he's the number one player in the FedEx Cup right now. And then you've got a guy like Kevin Streelman, who's 68th in the world, so both great, great players, in uh, fairly similar games. I mean, they're similar in length. What separates a guy like Kuchar and Streelman? Because when when I when I've watched Kevin hit balls over the years in person, he hits way better than Kuchar does, mm-hmm. and it seems like he he you know his short game's better. But you know you look at their two careers and and Kuchar's you know just that much better. What what's the separator? Yeah, that's a good question. It is, um, you know, Kuchar really. I think that he has. Uh, He's probably a little bit better around the greens than Kevin is. Um, and I think there's a mentality there, too. And I think Kevin would admit this, you know. So it's, I, I always try to be careful when I talk about Kevin's stuff. just because, you know, he's, uh, you know, golfers, you know, they are, you don't want to bruise their ego. You don't want to speak negatively about what their games are. But, you know, Matt, you know, like, I feel like he's always, like, you know, he just, his goals are to win tournaments. And, you know, and I think sometimes Kevin gets in a position where he's, he's just trying to have a nice week, right? And there's a mentality involved there. But, um you know, Kevin is one of the best ball I've ever seen in my life, and uh, he was un- un- unbelievable last week. But, uh, you know, with the wedges and around the greens and the putting, I mean, Kuchar is, he's elite. He really is. And uh, I think he understands his game better than probably anyone else out there. I mean, watching him in the practice rounds was really impressive because he didn't care that he was hitting hybrids into some places where other guys were hitting seven irons. It wasn't an issue to him. He was just going to plot around and play his game and really put the blinders on. And... Um, and he does that week after week. It's really amazing. The, you know, the, if you look at his results, just he's so consistent. Um, I think that's something Kevin strives for. It really is. You know, um, Kevin can be a very streaky putter, uh, and Kuchar seems to be a very consistent putter. But um, but kind of on that note, it was interesting. One of the things that I said to uh, Bubba Watson's caddy, his name's Teddy Scott, and he's a friend of mine I've known forever. And um, when we were paired with him on Sunday, we were walking down one of the holes, and I and Ted says, how do you like being out here? I go, it's crazy. I haven't been here for seven years, but I'm caddying for the exact same player. And, uh, and, and Ted laughs. He goes, and so am I. I've been here for 12 years. And he didn't know some of these players. Like, your strengths are almost always your strengths. And, you know, your weaknesses are almost always your weaknesses. And you think that these players would, you know, try to improve certain areas of their game. But sometimes it's tough to shake that DNA. You know, it really is. Like, as much as you want to become a better wedge player, whatever it is, like, it's not as easy as just putting the time in. There's... There's other things that are involved, and so um, that's why you have so much respect for these top players that play so consistently and are so balanced in their games, and they don't have any weaknesses. And um, it's just you have a lot of admiration for those guys that year in and year out are you know, always in the top five in the world. You know, that's a great point, Mike, and I had never thought about it, but I heard a, a interview with Patrick Harrington last week, and he was talking about, you know, looking at your strengths and weaknesses and uh you know as a coach i always try to go after the players weaknesses which you know i think you have to do 
but he, he he was talking about you know sometimes you just have to work on your strengths because your weaknesses are always going to be there, and if you get and get better at the things you do best and and minimize the things you you don't do well, that's where you where the greatest improvement comes. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective. It is. It is. And that's the thing that gets really is as a player, you know, you're always thinking, how do I get to the next level? And so, I mean, a lot of players have ruined their careers trying to hit the ball for it or trying to no turn question. it into a golf swing. Um, but at the same time, like, even like Kevin, it's amazing. Someone like him who, I mean, he, he hits. He he's like he practices long game way more. He does his short game, but but you know I think I can see why though, right? I mean it's fun to practice something you're really good at, right? And sometimes it's not fun to go practice something you're not good at. Like if you're going to go chips and, and you're having trouble hitting solid chips all day, it's not much fun, <laughs> but, right? Um, and and like as you know, as an instructor, I mean making you know significant changes technically, it's just the amount of time and repetition it takes, and the and the level of uncertainty at the back end of that is. Uh, it's always something you have to be aware of, and I think that some of the best players have been, uh, you know, they try to kind of, you know, match those differences. And I think, you know, a lot of the best players try to just try to minimize their weaknesses, not necessarily make it a strength. Yeah, it's it's hard to get better at the things you're bad at. <laughs> Mike, from, oh, a, sure. from a caddy's point of view and just an overall great golfer all these years, and uh, Chris, you two, uh, these guys who almost every year somebody has a great year, and then they change club manufacturers because they had a great year, so they offer them a bunch of money and get a sponsorship. And it seems like when they change clubs, the game gets a little bit worse. Is it my imagination? <laughs> well, I tell you what, there's a lot of examples of that, especially when it comes to the golf ball. And then um, and then I think the golf ball and then woods are probably the two biggest things. Like irons, I mean, maybe a little bit. I mean, but... but uh, that's just, it's dangerous, right? The golfers, and Kevin's actually kind of, he's been great about that. Like, he has, he's, he tried different balls, now he's back to the same ball he grew up with, the Titleist. Drivers, he's got no contract because he wants the flexibility. He understands. He's been stuck times where he's been stuck in a contract where he had to play equipment, and it's ruined his confidence. And, um, and you're right, though. I mean, it's tough for some of these players to, to not take the upfront money from a contract with a, with a club company. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, uh, you have to be pretty confident in your ability to put that risk in your career. And, Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, something like Justin Rose, even though he's had some good stretches, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, his, he hasn't had the year he's had lately with, you know, with the new club. No. Bubble with a golf ball. He tried his golf ball for a year and a half, and that really struggled. But you're right, though. Um, it's hard to turn on that big money, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Mike, speaking of the driver, what, what, what was the talk at the Open Championship on the testing of the drivers and – you know, Xander Shoffley finding his driver non-conforming and a few other players. Was there any – was that a, a hot topic or was it not much talk about it? Well, I was really surprised, actually, because I didn't know it was that hot of a topic until until I left the Open. You know, when I was there on the range, it was spoke about, spoken about pretty freely. Um in regards to the number that were tested, the number that were, they call it bounced push which means, basically means they're illegal. And then even, I mean, I, I mean, I can tell you specifically, you know, a couple guys that had other than Xander. So in the moment when I was there, like, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, and I didn't really see it as Xander cheating. Um, no. I saw it more of like, you know, well, wow, this, you know, because the way it was explained to me by the people there was that my driver could be legal today, right? And over the course of time, as I hit balls, it becomes illegal because the face deteriorates. It becomes more, um, has more of a trampoline effect. So for these players to manage when that, the line goes from being, you know, pushing the boundaries to becoming illegal, it's, I mean, it should ultimately fly in the player, no doubt, like it's your clubs. 
but does that mean checking it every round, every week? And what does that mean? And so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in regards to how they manage this. Um, because Xander, I mean, I can see people saying, hey, cheating jokingly, but if I was in his shoes, the last thing you want as a golfer is to ever think that you're um, stretching the bounds of fairness, you know, purposely. But, um, you know, I think there was, there was more than a few drivers that bounced. You know, there's 30 tested, and I heard there was nine or ten that were, were illegal, and they're from several different club companies. So yeah. um, it's interesting, no doubt. Yeah, I, you know, I, I put the onus of the blame on the manufacturer. The player can't manage that. It, it, that's got to be the, the equipment manufacturer's responsibility. And, um, yep. and I would think from the equipment manufacturer's standpoint, they do not want their driver to be – they want it up to the, the limit, but, man, there's no way you want the bad press of it being nonconforming. Well, exactly, exactly, and that's the tricky part. Like I say, if, if it's if it's tested when clubs brand new and, and you think it's good, well, it's not good forever though. So when does it become? So I don't know what the answer is. Kevin was actually on the range on uh, one of the guys we played with. Uh, I won't say his name just because uh, it was one of the players that, that the club got bounced. But but he had to you know use a different driver that week because obviously it, it wasn't legal. And Kevin was like uh, he wanted proactively go get his tested, and he was kind of talked out of it because you know he was just there told him, hey, once the tournament starts they won't test it. But Kevin was afraid if I had a good week and they tested it, you know, even next week or whatever it was and it was deemed to be illegal, like it would be seen as he cheated to win type mm, of a deal. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know because it's, uh, you know, I think everyone wants to hit the ball further and they want to make sure they have the club that can do that, but at what risk? Yeah, interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Kevin, or I mean, Mike, being out there for a, for a week, any uh, any itch to get back there out there again full-time? You know, not really. You know, that's, that was a good question. A lot of people have asked me that, and uh, and Kevin and I talked about it last week. And it's you know, I, I think it, me doing once a year would be a good would be a fun thing to do if I find the right week. Um, but for me, longer term, I just I love that. I saw a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a long time. It was fun to be in the ropes, but um, and I was so happy I did it for five years of my life. But right now, like I just there's it's a grind. I mean, oh, yeah. a lot of travel. Um, you know, it's like. It, a, lot of, you know, a lot of your travel, a lot of your happiness, a lot of your money, it's not, you're not in control of that. Someone else is. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of uncertainty. You can fire out at any second and, um, you're away from your family, you're away from some normalcy, but th- I have a lot of friends that are still doing it and they love it and they're great at it and they're making good money and I have nothing against it. But for me, um, it was a chapter in my life that I just, I really cherish, but, uh, but it's kind of, you know, I'm on to the next chapter. Right. And if you can get out there for a major once in a while, not all bad. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. I'm like, well, Augusta and the, and the Open Championship, those are the two that it's almost impossible to say no to because of, you know, the caliber of the event. And, and those two events as a caddy, there's so much more demanding than the normal event, right? So you truly have to caddy, like, because of, the, because of the conditions and the strategy involved at the courses. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, sharing your experience last week and uh, give us some insight into the, the life of a caddy. No problem, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Thanks, That's Colin. Mike Christensen, a fresh from uh, caddying. And the Open Championship. Pretty cool. We'll be back with more Lakes, Woods, and Irons right after this. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, The Fan, and now available at Podcast One. 
Chris, a special guest with us, friend of ours, and I'll let you handle the introductions. Yeah, welcome to the show, Mark Johnson. Mark's the director of golf at Breezy Point Resort, and uh, been a uh, golf pro in the area for many years. Mark, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Uh, great to be uh, with you guys. We're we're, uh, we're having a great stretch of summer weather here, Mark. How, how's everything up at Breezy Point? Oh, God, I tell you, you know, it's... I don't remember when we've had these so many nice days in a row. It's been a while. It's about time. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and the golf courses are, you know, they're all in just outstanding shape. So um, it's kind of nice that we're not dealing with some of the issues that uh, some of the metro courses are, are dealing with. For sure. One thing they like is we don't love it, but the golf courses love the rain we kept getting. So <laughs> they look fantastic. There, there, there's no doubt. I mean, if anything, right now we're probably a little bit dry. Yeah, for sure. Mark, for our listeners who uh, aren't familiar, tell us about uh, your golf offerings, uh, offerings at Breezy Point. Well, uh, Breezy Point uh, has three 18-hole golf courses uh, right at the resort. And, uh, you know, stemming from our old traditional course, which uh, stems from the origination of the resort back in the 19, early 1920s, um, all the way to... Our, our White Birch course, which is kind of like the first championship golf course in the Brainerd Lakes area, uh, you know, where it was converted to 18 holes in 1987. Um, and then uh, our Deacon's Lodge, which uh, the crown jewel of ours, uh, the Arnold Palmer design. Yeah, Deacon's is, I love Deacon's. I, I just love the layout of it. I love that you can. Uh, it maybe isn't quite as tight, but there's a lot of carry, so it's, uh, like any golf course, a different challenge. Uh, uh, any course you go to kind of uh, presents something uh, uh, challenging. Some guys' uh, games fit better at golf courses, so you've got all kinds of uh, nice offerings. Yeah, we, we can offer from a beginning golfer to the most advanced golfer. They're, they're going to find something that will fit their bill and that they can enjoy. Back in the 1920s, uh, there's always the great stories about here of mobsters in the area. Anybody uh, play golf in the old in the 30s at the at the resorts that that, well, was, that was famous or infamous? Um, well, not as far as mobsters, but Walter Hagen uh, made several appearances and yeah. And it's funny we've got pictures in the clubhouse and pictures throughout the resort, um, and you can you can still tell the same holes that were back in 1926. When uh, when he was playing exhibition matches and stuff here, so it's it's kind of neat. There's a lot of history. So yeah, he's one of the all time greats. I mean, when you start sure. counting major championships, Walter Higgins way up there on the list. Oh, absolutely. And then and Patty Bird was another one that uh, um, you know played played quite a bit at Breezy Point Resort. So um, back when she wasn't supposed to, she was supposed to be an amateur, not winning any money. <laughs> Mark, one of the things I always hear that you guys do so well is you've got a weekly scramble, right? Is that uh, Charlie's, they call that? Oh, we do Charlie's. That's a once a month scramble. Once a month. Scramble, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it's been going on. I started playing it, I believe, like 30-some 30, 30 years ago when I was at Brainerd. Um, I got asked to play, and I've played ever since. So for, for at least 30, 33 years, maybe 34 years. <laughs> You're a veteran. 
I've been playing this thing and, and for the last 20 years now, I've been kind of running it. And, and it's one of those things that kind of runs itself. Everybody just shows up and, and, uh, we'll get, uh, you know, all of a sudden everybody shows up at five o'clock. We got 90 players a lot of times and, and it, it's, it's tremendous fun and a great stake and lots of prizes. And what, what day of the month is that? It's the first Tuesday of each month. Very good. Um, we run it uh, June, July, August, and September. I'm sure you set up for people all the time with packages, Mark. Uh, maybe they want to play Deacons a couple times, or maybe they want to play uh, White Birch and Deacons. And uh, the old course, which uh, you've said on the show before, uh, don't go down to the old course thinking you're just going to have an easy time scoring, because that's not necessarily the case. No, it's uh, it's tight. It's tricky. Um, you got to be able to you got to be able to control the golf ball to play that golf course well. So um, there, there's a lot more skill involved in playing that course well than maybe White Birch or, per se, Deacons, because Deacons, it is generous off the fairways, where traditional is not so generous off the fairways. Don't don't put me out there, Mark, if I call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Deacons, is a, it's a, a fairly easy driving golf course. But it's a very difficult on your approach shots. Uh, yeah, if you you miss a green, you're going to have a very challenging next shot. Yeah, that's where the, the golf course starts from. Starts from the fairway, really, where where it's really challenging. I had the pleasure of being out there when Arnie was there with the Governor Ventura, and that was a that was a pretty entertaining nine holes to watch those guys play. It was pretty chilly that day too. It was, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Arnie was promoting Pennzoil just about every other shot, and. Uh, the governor was just being the governor at that time. <laughs> well, the governor was, or Arnie was telling the governor, you know, hit until you like one there, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he'd hit a good one, and Arnie'd say, you stay out of golf, and I'll stay out of politics. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was a fun day. It was chilly, though. Mark, do you have any uh, any specials you'd like to share with us or anything? You know, uh, basically all the golf courses starting in, during the week, uh, starting after 2 p.m., we do run Twilight. And uh, the Twilight kind of progressively gets better and better the later it gets. So, you know, 2 o'clock there's a break, 3 o'clock there's a break, and then 4.30 there's a break. So for the locals that are looking for the best value, um, that, that Twilight is very appealing at traditional White Birch and Deacons. Another nice variety that you have, Mark. Uh, we like to promote the 19th hole on the show. Brought your way by Cheetos Handmade Vodka on our show. But uh, you've got some great uh, different venues for people to, from casual to uh, pretty much fine dining, and uh, lots of uh, options that when people finish up their golf. Oh, absolutely. You know, we've got at White Birch, we've got Antlers Restaurant, which uh, the food is tremendous. Um, it's a nice patio to sit on if it's nice enough to sit outside, which has been a lot of that lately. Um, Deacons, you get the Palmer's Grill. Uh, there again, it's a nice setting. Um, good food. And, uh, and traditional, there's really not anything right there at the clubhouse, but it's so close to Dockside and right. that, um, that's where, that's where most people will go if they want to want something afterwards. Play golf and then sit by the water. That's not all bad. No, it's a great setting down there at Dockside. <laughs> All right, Mark, any, anything else, any events coming up in the uh, August or September uh, that we can look forward to or could maybe uh, could maybe get into? Uh, the Charlie Scramble of August 6th, maybe, is it? I don't have a calendar in front of me. 
Um, yep, first uh, first Tuesday first Tuesday of August is August sixth. Yeah, so we've got Charlie's August sixth coming up. Um, so. Yeah, want to get out in front of things if you want to play, especially in September. It seems like at all our courses, uh, uh, you maybe want to maybe want to call the clubhouse and get a tee time because it's going to be busy. <laughs> yeah, September. A lot of people don't realize how busy September is in the Brainerd Lakes area, but all the courses are are extremely busy in September and. And, and people don't consider that, you know, the days get shorter, so the the window of playing isn't as big, so it does fill up a lot quicker. Sure. I suppose just like Chris, you're playing a lot of golf, Mark. <laughs> um, I, can, I can count on one hand how many times I've played this year. So, you, guys are, you guys are good players sitting on the sidelines because of your work, that's for sure. Well, I tell you, I, tell you I, I have had a back injury this year that I've never had issues before. And and so I've kind of been sidelined by that, but there again, work gets in the way too. You bet, yeah. you got to be ready for, the, for Charlie's once a month. <laughs> <laughs> well, good stuff, Mark. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Best way to book times and stuff is probably uh, through the website, Mark, or uh, website or just uh, the eight hundred number eight hundred four three two three seven 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 and just press four. Mark, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. We appreciate it. You bet. You guys have a great day. Thank you, Mark. Mark Johnson, director of golf up at Breezy Point uh, Resort, and boy, put those golf courses on your golf calendar. They are fabulous. You're listening to Lakes Woods and Irons on thirteen eighty KLIZ. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley and Colin McDonald at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, streaming at KLIZ.com. Thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM and Mills Ford. British are the Open Championship done. I did it again. It's the third time already. <laughs> the Open Championship, of course, uh, uh, Lowry wins, Chris, a very impressive performance, and, uh, uh, boy, he just uh, remained calm, and we saw how the how the conditions can bite a guy. Uh, you know, you get J.B. Holmes and uh, Lowry, who kind of look alike, kind of play a similar game, big power game, and they're both uh, right there at, through Saturday pretty much. And then J.B. just disappeared on Sunday, and he's, he lost control of his game. And he couldn't get it back. No. I think they issued 89. Is that what I heard? 87. 87, yeah. yeah. Yeah, kind of imploded. Right. Those are hard to recover from when uh, that happens in a major championship, I think. Yeah, you know, that uh, that that will leave a scar. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, some guys that could, you know, that could be devastating for their career and that uh, that losing that confidence, uh, like we were talking earlier in the show. But, um you know, J.B. Holmes has been a good player for a long time, and yeah, he has. Uh, we, we haven't seen that type of uh, uh, final round from him ever. He hasn't been a huge winner on the PGA Tour, but it'll be interesting to see how that affects him. You know, the rest of the year you know, when he does get into contention. Yeah, didn't have a lot of great battles in the majors as far as just two guys head to head battling down the stretches here, playing their best golf, which happens yeah. once in a while. Uh, it, the the uh, golf channel has had uh, Tiger's uh, uh, every tournament win yeah. show going on. It's a two hour deal. You watch that show and you just are. I mean, I was right through when it was happening. It, it's just amazing to rewatch. 
how great he played. Yeah, yeah. When he, it, he was winning over fifty percent of the tournaments he played in over like a two year stretch. Yeah, it's incredible. And you know, we've got the WGHC or WGC event this week. Yeah, and you look, Tigers won eighteen of them. <laughs> you know, the the nearest other guy is four of them, Dustin Johnson. So, I mean, that's yeah. – his dominance has been incredible. Um, you know, and t- going back to the Open Championships this week, winning by six shots, it's amazing how many tournaments this year have been won by four, five, six shots. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of love that pressure of uh, that, well, the great uh, Open Championship a couple of years ago is a great example, Stenson and Mickelson, where it was just shot for shot all day oh, long. Yeah. People always remember those. And uh, Stenson had the best round of his life and uh, and won the Open Championship. One thing uh, from a teaching aspect, Chris, I was going to ask you, and, of course, I, I need to eliminate lots of parts of my game, but, <laughs> but uh, uh, Shane Lowry leading by, you know, a half dozen, five, four uh, down the stretch on Sunday, and you heard the announcers talking about all he needs to do now is eliminate half the golf course. So either you want to... Certain size. You don't want to make a mistake. I think in this case was left, maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, eliminating one side of the golf course is really a bit of a fallacy. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at player shot dispersions on the PGA Tour, the best ball strikers in the world, they they all have a dispersion rather than a let's say a one way miss. But the goal would be. If you want to be a, a good player, a good ball striker, the ball would be to generally curve it in the same direction all the time. And if you look at the best ball strikers, they all tend to curve it, you know, let's say 90 plus percent of the time they curve it one, one way or the other. And if you're always curving it the same direction, for instance, if you're always drawing the golf ball, you, you, in a, you effectively, uh, have more room to miss the golf ball. What you really want to eliminate is the double cross, meaning you know that you're aiming right to hit a or you, let's say you're aiming left to hit a fade and you hit a pull hook. Yeah. And that's that's if you can eliminate that, then your misses are going to be much narrower. But you know, if if you have a good idea of what your shot dispersion is, let's say from from you know 150 to 180 yards, your general shot dispersion is about like 30 yards, which would would be good for a, for any player if you if you had a 30 yard shot dispersion at at those distances, then effectively you can aim away from trouble and not you know you can your outside misses are outside of the hazard or out of bounds and that that's when when you're going to play your best golf is when you can when you can do that. Then when the greatest guys are going good, they can just hit that safe shot kind of over and over and over again. Yeah, and you know the the amazing thing about Tiger and um Tiger was was one of the least aggressive players of all time. Uh you know, you think about Tiger going for, you know, going for the pin and everything all the time, but Tiger always left the ball on the fat side of the green. He, he Tiger for him to short side himself would be a, a rarity. And um I, I can't remember what a, it what was it was a Riviera event either early this year or late last year, he was criticized for not hitting driver off the tee when he was in contention. And, you know, hitting he, he either hit three wood or, or three or four iron off the tee and put the ball in play and, and didn't go for But he, he took the safe route. 
he didn't end up making birdie, but so many times in that situation, Tiger did make birdie, and because he he eliminated he eliminated the big shit or the the big miss and put himself in the best position to uh, make a birdie and not make a make a bad shot. So Tiger always missed it on the fat side of the green or the fat side of the pin. And if if we if we can play more that way, you're going to play way better golf. Yeah. His bogeys are his his statistics over uh, bogeys and double bogeys are just incredible over long stretches of his career. I mean, he he didn't make a double bogey. I think maybe an entire golf season. Yeah. I'm not sure about that, but maybe. Yeah, his yeah his, the the whole key is it's not making birdies; it's bogey avoidance. Yeah, yeah. And so for whatever level you're the game you're at, it, you know if you're a if you're a 10 handicap or 18 handicap you know it's not about making more uh, more birdies and pars it's about eliminating triples and quads or right. doubles and triples or yeah. uh, so the more you can do that the the better you, the better your scores are going to be if i can get through 9 without a double i'm smiling <laughs> that's that's a good thing <laughs> thanks chris thank you mac you've been listening to lakes woods and irons thanks to our guest mark johnson and mike christensen both uh, excellent guests and nice to have on board 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Thanks for listening to today's edition of Lakes, Woods, and Irons at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Craigan's Legacy Courses, Tito's Handmade Vodka, Rutgers Bay Lake Lodge, The Tea Hive, The Holiday Station on Mill Avenue, and Maury's Market. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com, sponsored by Mills GM. We now return to our regularly scheduled program at the Lake Sports Talk 1380 KLIZ The Fan.